Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of Man of Screen Podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and on this episode, we're going to continue our look at Superman the Serial with chapters 7, 8, and 9, where we see uh, Dr. Hackett will find his way to the Spider Lady's headquarters after his jailbreak, and uh, he will assist her in her attempts to not only steal the Relativity Reducer Ray, but also help her in her quest of getting rid of Superman. That's the one thing I wanted to talk about before we uh, get into uh, our summaries and analysis on, the, on this show. I wanted to share a bit of feedback I got on Facebook, of all places, from Douglas Meacham after he listened to the first show, which dropped on March 1st. Douglas said, Just listened. Excellent job, sir. I like your take on the material and enjoy your humor. Keep up the good work. So I would just like to give a verbal thank you to Douglas Meacham for dropping that post on Facebook when he did, and I encourage any one of you to do the same. You can either do a search on Facebook at look for Man of Screen Podcast, or you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also, as I forgot to mention last week, you can leave me a review on iTunes just under, the, uh, under my feed. So, with that being said, I don't have any further preamble. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back with the next chapter of Superman the Serial. Stop it! Listen! Stop it! Listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! Get it out, Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Danigarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations' response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, folks, welcome back. Now, Chapter 7, Into the Electric Furnace. As the fugitive Dr. Hackett forces Lois to help him escape in her car, two of the Spider Lady's men discover them and give chase in an ambulance. Recognizing the men, Hackett orders Lois to stop, but she daringly refuses and... Superman finds Hackett's cabin empty, then spots Lois's car in time to save her. The Spider Lady reveals her plan to Hackett. They plan to capture Clark Kent to trap Superman. Hawkins is forced to phone a tip to Kent. City room. But Clark Kent isn't here. Who wants him? This is Hawkins. I've got a hot tip for Clark Kent about Dr. Hackett. Well, you can give it to me and I'll see that Clark gets it. Where do you want him to meet you? In the park? By the big tree, near the first crossroad inside the Western Avenue entrance. Yes, I've got it. I'll tell him. Thanks, Hawkins. Bye. Goodbye. Look, you better take me with you. You might need help. Maybe I better. That park's a lonely place at night. I still think it's a dirty trick to play on Clark. He's got it coming. He pulled the same trick on me. Just where in the park are you going to meet him? At the big tree near the first crossroads inside the Western Avenue entrance. There, Jimmy is kidnapped. At the Daily Planet, Clark gets a call about Jimmy. Clark can't speaking. Get word to Superman that we've got Jimmy Olsen. Who is this? Never mind that. Just get word to Superman. How am I going to do that? Uh, but you better do it quick. Well, first you've got to prove that you've really got Jimmy. Oh, 
Sure thing. Uh, how about meeting me someplace? All right. Where? 900 block in Columbia Street. Walk east down the north side. Somebody will contact you. All right, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Don't notify the police and don't have anyone following you. Right. I'll be there alone. And goes to meet a crook, secretly followed by Lois. Clark offers to have Superman show up if Jimmy is freed. Where is Superman? I can't tell you that. What can you tell me? Only that he'd agree to almost any terms to save Jimmy Olsen. Well, that's more like it. Uh, there's something else. What is it? Superman won't appear until you first turn Jimmy loose. You said he'd agree to any terms. I said almost. How will Superman know if we let Jimmy go? I'll tell him. How will you know? Well, you're going to take me to where you're holding Jimmy. I'll see you release him. Remember one thing. If this is a trap you're fixing up, you're in it too. I realize that. Will Superman definitely show up? Yes, at midnight. All right. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Someone will take you there. Instead, the crooks have Clark locked in a room in a warehouse while Jimmy is left unconscious on a conveyor belt headed into a blast furnace. And I forgot to mention last week, and I'll mention again here, that all my synopses for these serials are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. All right, so this chapter starts, as they all do, with a quick recap of the last few minutes of the previous chapter. As you recall, Lois had freed Dr. Hackett and was forcing her to drive toward the Spider-Lady's men, Anton and Brock, in the ambulance. Now, the sequence of events is a little bit different here, as Superman goes to the house to look for Hackett and notices that he's missing before Hackett pistol whips Lois and, and knocks her cold. So, you're going to see Hackett get out of the car in a... Move we're going to see quite a bit during this serial. People jumping out of moving cars like this. No tomorrow. Hackett does it here and falls over. With it miraculously without getting his suit dirty. And as just as the car is going over the cliff, Superman pulls the car back from the cliff in a nice shot. Just as it's at the edge, you see Superman grab it by the rear bumper and pull it right. Pull it right off the mount while the car is in drive. Didn't even bother to put it in neutral. Superman takes the unconscious Lois out of the car. And this is the first time that we're going to see Superman fly with somebody else. Just when Superman normally takes off on his own, likely here with Lois, they both become an animation as he flies away. And now, we are back at the planet, and like I said last week, these scenes in Perry's office tend to serve the purpose of catching the audience up on what happened in the previous chapter to kind of get them up to speed on where we are now. When I came to, I was in the doctor's office. And Dr. Hackett, no doubt, is with the spider lady. Helping our menace society. I warned you not to get any wild ideas, but you did. And you not only muffed this story, you lost Hackett. But I did have him. I tied him up and left him in a closet. Clark's right, Chief. It was my fault that Hackett got away. I untied him. Perhaps someday I'll find out what really happened. Now get out, all of you, and find Hackett. And don't come back until you do. Get out, all of you! And, of course, Perry is furious at his staff and screams at Clark for muffing the story. Clark tries to defend himself, and in a rare show of humility, Lois comes to his aid. You know, Lois admits that she's the one who let Hackett go, owning up to her own mistake. Although it's interesting that Perry doesn't seem to believe her, just saying, someday he'll learn what really happened. Chief, do you not believe your employees? They told you the truth, but he chooses not to believe it. Maybe he doesn't believe Lois can be so reckless as to untie a man... man 
in a closet. I would have thought that before she untied him, maybe she'd have at least uh, loosened the gag to ask him who he is. But she didn't, and that causes Hackett to get away, and he's going to go off with Anton and Brock, the spider lady's two men. Now, they all leave Perry's office. Clark turns around and comes to Lois and... Oh, uh, thanks for going to bat for me. Even though I struck out? You tried. So did you. What? Is he kidding me? Clark didn't do anything wrong here. His plan was well-conceived and well in hand. Uh, he had Packet wrapped up, so I'm not understand why he's thanking her for going to bat for him. You should thank her for admitting that she screwed up. So, and then after that... For next time, let me in on it. Why? Perry called Clark into the office. This was Clark's assignment. If Perry wanted them both to go out on it, then he would have assigned both of them. I'm an editor at a newspaper. I know how these things work. If I want reporter A to go cover a story, I don't want reporter B to go follow him. I would think that reporter B would have enough of his or her own work to do without having to follow reporter A and try to get, get in on that story. And same thing with Lois here. Can she get a story of her own without having to steal Clarks all the time? She must have her own assignments or her own work to do. She's not just, if she's a decent reporter and Lo Lois is supposed to be a very good reporter, she should be able to get her own assignments and make her own assignments, get her own stories, even without Perry telling her to do so. What does she do all day other than wait for Perry to tell her to do something or try to sucker Clark into losing his story? That takes care of that. Now, the spider lady has become extremely confident now that she has the kryptonite in her possession, and she also has Dr. Hackett. She tells Hackett that she ha he could forget about Superman as she has, but Brock confirms that it's worked, and the spider lady is the first to ponder that a prolonged exposure to the kryptonite might destroy Superman. Hackett makes himself comfortable in the Spider Lady's organization very quickly, showing a great deal of confidence, and he has no trouble making suggestions immediately, as he suggests threatening one of Superman's friends to draw out Superman and expose him to the kryptonite again. He is just as anxious as anybody to get rid of Superman as quickly as possible. Now, we're back at the Daily Planet. Lois answers Clark's phone, and she has, and it's Hawkins calling in for a tip. Well, she's going to go out on it anyway. We don't know where Clark is at the moment. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that he's not there. I have mixed feelings about this. The phone rings on Clark's desk. Clearly, the call was meant for him. You know, when I worked at a newspaper in upstate New York, our publisher was very adamant that somebody had to answer the phone no, no matter whose desk it was on. I viewed things a little bit differently. At my office, at my newspaper where I work now... It's more of a weekly group, and we all have our own areas and papers that we deal with. I don't answer the phone on somebody else's desk. Maybe the rules at the planet are a little bit similar to the ones when I worked at the Daily Paper upstate. But anyway, Lois answers Clark's phone. She has no intention of giving the message to Clark that she's going to go out on the tip. Now, I'm guessing Anton had Hawkins make the call to Clark because they did suggest, at least Brock did, when they were with the Spider Lady in the previous scene, that... They go after Clark. So I'm guessing that even though we didn't see it on the screen, that Anton had Hawkins make the call to Clark Kent. Now, I don't understand why the Spider Lady's men leave Hawkins alone. I mean, I would have assumed by now they just they just whacked the guy. He's clearly troubled. He knows more than he should, although he never goes to the police with the information. I don't know. I'm just curious about Hawkins and where he comes from, but we're never going to find out. 
anything about that. Jimmy almost functions as Lois's conscience in, in this scene, where he believes that it's a dirty trick to pull on Clark to go out on his his tip. Lois responds that Clark has it coming. Huh? What exactly has Clark done to deserve what Lois is about to do? The last time Lois horned in on Clark's act, she let Dr. Hackett go. So I'm not exactly sure how Clark has it coming, unless Lois feels that it's Clark's moral responsibility to let her in on everything that he does. Maybe so maybe she's feeling a little extra entitled today. Now, we're in the park. You can tell that it's nighttime here, better than you could in the museum robbery that, that we looked at in last week's episode. You can tell night has fallen. Here's the spider ladies man. Jimmy's been punched out for the second time in this serial, and his hat fell off. Sometimes the hat falls off, sometimes it doesn't. Now, as they're driving away, there are very few cars on the road. I'm not giving you the idea that Metropolis is a bustling city. Lois gives chase, but she's curtailed by a flat tire and can't continue. Now, so now Jimmy is taken back to the warehouse or whatever it is where Driller and some of the other Spider Ladies men are hiding out, and they know this is Jimmy Olsen. I don't exactly know how they know this is Jimmy Olsen. He's not exactly a household name. I guess if you punch someone out enough, you get to know them very well. And then Driller taking makes a nice leap in logic here, suggesting that Jimmy might make a better hostage. I'm not exactly sure how he knows this, but he does. Lois is back at the office feeling pretty bad about herself and what happened to Jimmy. Clark tries to sideline Lois after he gets a call from Driller saying they have Jimmy Olsen. Now she agrees, but as soon as he is gone, she leaves the office. You can tell here from Noelle Neal's acting, just the facial expressions that she's making, that she's visually agreeing to Clark, but you can tell by the subtle nod that she has no intention of listening to him. She's just kind of yesing him to death. And then, as we can expect, she walks out right after him. Clark is out on the street. Apparently this paper boy is... uh, paid off or whatever to give Clark the paper. As Clark is going to pay him, the guy just runs off. And there's a very well-typed note on the paper to, almost like where the subscription address would be, that there's a note on the paper inviting Clark to a car on the street. Very well-typed. You would think they would just kind of scribble a note down on a sheet of paper and stick it on there, but they didn't. They went to a lot of effort just to do this. Now, Clark and Anton are in the car, and Clark, you know, seems like he's just toying with Anton, and that he's having a good time doing it, as he lays out Superman's plan to try to save Jimmy. Lois, meanwhile, she didn't follow directions. She followed Clark, but she did well here, as she stayed out of sight long enough for Clark's plan to go down. And Clark seems like he's enjoying this. Even as he's walked into this warehouse, he's still smiling. Clark had said that Superman will appear at midnight if Jimmy is freed. Driller is going to call Superman's bluff. And he opens the kryptonite, and Clark, in an effort to protect his secret identity, kind of subtly is doing his best not to react to the kryptonite. Fortunately, Driller closes it fast enough that Clark didn't fall over and uh, unmask himself. Jimmy is tied up, but not Clark. Apparently, they are far less scared of Clark than they are of Jimmy. I don't know why. They keep knocking Jimmy out pretty quickly. Conrad and Brock are getting nervous. This is one of the first times we see Conrad. They want to leave... Brock's suggestion is cremate them in the blast furnace. You know, why not? You know, when I want to get away, the, f- the first thing I want to do is throw my victims into a into a blazing hot fire. So, obviously, Clark doesn't want this to happen, so he's going to start a fight. And is conveniently thrown into a closet. Jimmy tries to get away, is punched out again, and finds his way onto the conveyor belt going to his cremation. I don't know. I, I don't think... Jimmy would be in much of a position to even remember what's going on. He must have had at least three concussions in this serial alone. 
Alan overdoes it a little bit here. He's in the closet alone, and is still acting like he's trying to shake off the punch. Uh, did he forget that he didn't feel that? He's invulnerable. It shouldn't have hurt him, unless that small dose of kryptonite weakened him slightly. But that's an answer we're going to have to wait until the next chapter to find out. So, fortunately for you, we're not going to have to wait very long for the next chapter, which is Chapter 8, Superman to the Rescue. Superman rescues Jimmy, but the crooks escape when they toss a piece of kryptonite at Superman, which ends up in the furnace, releasing kryptonite fumes. Lois arrives and blows a police whistle, making the crooks leave. What happened to Clark? Oh, they knocked him out and dragged him in there. Let's see about this. Well, Mr. Kent, what's the story? (laughs) I was doing all right, but Superman came in and told me to lay low while he took over. Oh, how thoughtful of you to be so considerate of yourself. Even if the spider lady's men were not captured, you did rescue Jimmy. Thanks to Superman. You helped too, Lois, with your police whistle. Well, I'll admit I didn't cover myself with glory, but I did learn one important fact. What is it? I gathered from what one of the men said, Dr. Hackett is working on a plan to steal a reducer ray. That's a big order since the government is guarding it. And so is Superman. That wouldn't stop the spider lady. She's a dangerous opponent while she holds the kryptonite. Hackett complains about the failed caper, and the spider lady learns he is willing to betray her. Your method of using the kryptonite against Superman is clumsy and stupid. No doubt you have a better method, Dr. Hackett. No, I haven't yet, but I hope to. You plotted to bring Superman to you to destroy him with the kryptonite, and you failed. I'll perfect a death weapon that will go to Superman. That will be interesting, if you can do it. How would you like to get away from her? What are you getting at? I can help you scram out of here for a price. What if I did escape? I'd still be running away from the police. No, I'm safe here. And once I remove Superman and get my hands on that reducer ray, things will be different. Very different. In Washington. I summoned you for consultation. We wish to remove the reducer ray to Metropolis University for further experiments. I can easily do that. Good. It must be done swiftly and secretly. I agree to the swiftness, but not the secrecy. Why not? We know the spider lady is determined to get it, but we don't know her whereabouts. This is a chance to bring her into the open. At the risk of losing the reducer ray? We won't lose it, I promise. But it may enable us to capture the spider lady and Dr. Hackett. Well, if it were anyone else, I would say no. But we have absolute faith and confidence in you, so it's in your hands. Superman arranges a trap by having a newspaper story say the reducer ray will be taken by truck for study at Metropolis University. All public traffic will be detoured from the route on the day that the invaluable reducer ray will be moved from Washington. It is rumored that Superman will guard the ray machine. My Washington contact has informed me as to the route chosen. What good will that do us if it's so closely guarded? My men will be there before the area is closed. Irvin and Jackson will stop the truck. How do you know the ray machine will be in a truck? I have definite information. But what if Superman is there? You and Brock will take care of Superman with Dr. Hackett's new weapon. If it's finished in time. It will be. You needn't worry about Superman. 
Superman stops the crooks, but overhears on their car radio that the Spider Lady has found out the Ray is really being transported by train, and that another group plans to derail the train. Okay, well, it just dawned on me that I didn't mention this when I talked about the previous chapter, but it is nice to see Driller getting out of the hideout and doing the field work. When compared to the Spider Lady, he, who stays in the hideout nearly all the time, she only gets out once. Driller, I think, gets out twice. Everybody else is pretty much in the field with occasional trips to the hideout. All right, so Superman emerges from the closet, the same closet that the Spider Lady's men just threw Clark into. Uh, guys, what does that tell you? It should tell you something. Think about it. I like Driller's use of the kryptonite here. If the first time I saw this, I thought he was wasting it by throwing it into the fire. But I, I like that the effect of throwing it into the fire to, to create the kryptonite gas that weakens Superman. That's a pretty good use of the kryptonite. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, it weakens Superman enough that they're going to try to get rid of him, but Lois does some good work with a police whistle. And that forces the Spider Lady's men to run off, and this saves the lives of both Jimmy and Superman. She did well this time. And then Superman staggers off as Jimmy comes to into the same place that Clark went. He tells Lois that the Spider Lady's men knocked out Clark and dragged him in there. And he mentions to Lois that that's the same direction that Superman staggered off into. Again, Jimmy should have realized that Clark is in the same place that Superman just went. But maybe as uh, Jimmy is a little too groggy from getting his butt kicked all the time. They find Clark kind of huddled up on the floor. Clark makes an excuse about Superman telling him to stay low, and Lois is very sarcastic when she notes how considerate he is to uh, look after himself. We are back at Spider Lady's headquarters after this, and, you know, Hackett has a line that he says at least twice when the Spider Lady says that he's got it. He tends to always say, I haven't yet, but I hope to. Well, in this case, he hopes to have a better plan later on. And Hackett is showing some guts here, and he calls the Spider Lady's plans clumsy and stupid. Ouch. So he's going to go to uh, build a death weapon, and she defies him to do so. This is where Hackett starts the show that he is kind of out for himself here, and at some point he plans to overthrow the Spider Lady. As Anton tests Hackett's loyalty by kind of asking how he wants to, if he wants to get away from her, and how it could be arranged. Hackett responds by saying the key to his power is the kryptonite and the reducer ray, and once he has those things, he'll take care of the spider lady. And we can see here that it was all a test as Anton tells the spider lady, and she says that she'll take care of Dr. Hackett in time. Now, now that we're done with all this, the federal government wants to move the reducer ray, so this brings us back to the uh, Secretary of Defense's office, where which we visited in Chapter 3. And they want Superman to guard the ray as it's being moved. My first question is, doesn't the federal government have people to do this? Why this constant reliance on Superman? They should be able to do this on their own. And, you know, Superman is awfully cavalier by using the reducer ray as bait to draw out the spider lady. Again, these elaborate traps are kind of indicative of the serials at the time. The plans for, to move the reducer ray are published in the Daily Planet. I don't know of any situation under which the government would give away the plans for moving their most powerful weapon through the country. Unless, of course, this is all Superman's idea. And the only reason the government is going with this plan is 
because Superman suggested it. The Secretary of Defense says it himself. If it were anyone else, he would say no. Mr. Secretary, I don't care who it is. You should say no to this plan. This is far too risky because Superman just laid out for you. The Spider Lady is determined to get it. Do some better work on finding her, and you won't need to resort to these elaborate schemes to draw her out. And being that this is only Chapter 8 of 15, well, I'm guessing this isn't going to work anyway. You know, I wonder, and I don't know this for sure, I don't know anybody who actually saw these in the theater. I wonder if people knew these were 15 chapter serials beforehand. You know, I knew the most serialized thing I've watched recently is 24 when it was on. And, you know, I always knew the plan couldn't go, things couldn't go according to plan because I was only on episode 12 and there was still half a season to go. But I wonder if people knew that. I wonder if they knew going in that this plan to trap the Spider Lady with the Reducer Array probably wasn't going to work. And the Spider Lady isn't worried that this may be a trap. And the Spider Lady and Dr. Hackett all are already at odds as she's challenging him on whether his weapon will be ready. One of my complaints, and it's not that big of a complaint, it's like, Carol Foreman doesn't really have much to do as a Spider Lady. She just kind of sits there and barks out orders and all of her little worker bees go and do her bidding. Probably because they're afraid of just going to kill them with that electronic web of hers. So we're, everybody's out in the field now waiting for the ray machine to get to where it's going. Dr. Hackett's weapon is a small cannon that fires a kryptonite projectile. Brock and uh, Anton are going to use that. There's some other men that are turning on music in the car and not paying attention because something happens. And now they realize it's a trap. And the Spider Lady's men fall right into the trap. Good help is so hard to find. Meanwhile, Clark is in the truck trying to get the story. And as usual, he fakes getting punched down a hill so he could change into Superman. This truck driver is doing a great job of stalling by looking into every pocket of his jacket for the keys. And one of the crooks actually notices this and asks the truck driver whether or not he's run out of pockets. This prompts the truck driver to do exactly that and run out of pockets and start opening the back of the truck. Dr. Hackett's toy didn't work as Superman catches an animated missile and throws it back at Brock and Anton, causing them to scatter. That bring Superman to the truck. The bullets here are animated. They look like little black dots bouncing off Superman's chest. And here's something we see quite a bit in these serials. The Superman ties people up. It's amazing how many people are carrying a rope around. The truck driver here tries to follow Superman's hands with his eyes as he moves at super speed. The one thing effect I do like in this serial is the super speed, which just looks like Kirk Allen is tying the people up and the film is being sped up. People try to follow him with their eyes with no success truck driver is amazed. So, as I said before, the truck is a trap. The reducer ray is actually on a train. So, we get a nice shot of a locomotive right here. You know, Superman, when he flies, Superman's flying toward the train now. He doesn't fly completely horizontally, but more in an arcing motion. You know, the effects are very crude, and for some reason, as Superman is flying away from the camera, he's kicking one of his legs as if he's swimming. I don't know. Maybe he's got a little bit of a twitch. As the ray is used to destroy the train, we don't actually see any kind of ray emerge. It's basically got light turning on, and an explosion is set off. And the chapter ends. Now, before we get to chapter 9, I am going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then we will come back with Irresistible Force, chapter 9 of Superman the Serial. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. 
Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, uh-huh. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking at Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So, um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be, in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad... Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. Alright, welcome back, folks. Now, Chapter 9. Irresistible Force. Superman stops the train before it reaches where the blast occurs. Perry assigns Lois to pick up Dr. Graham at the airport. The spider lady has Lois delayed. I'm sorry, miss, it was my fault, but I don't think there's much damage. All right, all right, but I've got to meet a plane. Well, she poses as Lois and picks up Dr. Graham. Uh, Dr. Graham? Yes. I'm Lois Lane of the Daily Planet. Oh, yes, I've been looking for you. I'm to drive you to the university and get an interview on the way. Shall we go? By all means. When Lois gets to the airport, she picks up Hackett disguised as Graham. Dr. Graham? Yes. I'm Lois Lane of the Daily Planet. Oh, yes, we've been looking for you. I'm terribly sorry, but I was delayed by a slight accident. I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, we haven't been waiting very long. Uh, May I present my assistant, Mr. Conrad? How do you do? do? We can go to the university immediately. The car is over there. Thank you. While Graham is being taken to the Spider Lady's cave hideout, Lois takes Hackett and an assistant to the Reducer Ray at Metropolis University. When Lois becomes suspicious of Hackett studying the device, she is captured and the ray is rigged to explode. But Jimmy had photographed Hackett and Lois at the airport. Jimmy took this picture, Dr. Graham, and Lois met him. It was spotted on page one with her story. I met him some time ago. That's not Graham. That's Hackett. Hackett, how do you know? So when Clark sees Lois didn't pick up Graham, he leaves. Now, 
I mentioned this before, Superman always has to land behind something. I saw on the DVD documentaries that it was easier for the animators to rotoscope the animated Superman over uh, Kirk Allen as he took off. But when he landed, they couldn't get the animation to merge back into Kirk Allen, who would have already been standing there when the, when the animation landed. So that's why it's easier for the animation to land behind a rock or a tree or a car, and it's easier for Superman to run out from behind it. So obviously when the animation lands, Alan is already in the shot behind whatever it is, and he runs out, giving the indication that Superman has landed there. Now, now look at this effect. Even to the naked eye, it is clear that Superman is running out of out of rear projection of a train and is only putting a hand on a, his hand on a screen. I don't know what these things looked like in the theater, but one thing you'll notice looking at old shows, and we're going to see this too with Superman, the the Adventures of Superman that we're going to start covering in a few months. That HTTV is not kind of this stuff. Filmmakers didn't and TV makers didn't worry so much about what was left to see because screens wouldn't be big enough for audiences to see them. I'm not sure exactly how big the screen people saw these serials on, but the film may not have been clear enough to notice some of these things that high def shows us very clearly. Now, the physics are clearly off. If Superman actually stopped a train this suddenly, I mean, he puts his hand on this train and it stops. If this were to happen in real life, it would cause a massive derailment and train wreck and cost hundreds of lives. The only thing upset by this impact is the engineer who got a little jolted. The way they tend to show the effect of Superman's impact stopping something is usually by the conductor or driver of a car being driven into the dashboard a little bit. Anton and Brock are about to save their men, not at the expense of running into the police as the sirens scare them off. And apparently, it is more important for Superman to get back to the truck and go back to being Clark than it is to chase uh, Conrad and the other guy here at the train. Clark comes back up toward the truck, and even the truck driver, who doesn't know this guy at all, notices how Clark plays things safe. What happened? Plenty! Superman was here! Say, you should play things safe, don't you? Usually. We're back at the... at the planet. Perry is about to send Lois to pick up Dr. Graham, and he wants an interview with her. You know, I can understand Perry wanting an exclusive interview with Dr. Graham, but why would the man who developed a weapon more powerful than the atomic bomb just wander around unprotected? Lois, of all people, should not be escorting him to the museum. Now, at the same time, obviously, the spider lady is not very happy. Not only did Dr. Hackett's weapon fail to destroy Superman, but several more men were arrested. It looks as if I'll have to accomplish what you failed to do. Dr. Graham is coming to Metropolis, and I'll force him to give me the secret of his reducer ray. That'd mean making him a prisoner. You'll never get away with it. I think I will, the way I planned it. You know when and where Dr. Graham is arriving? Yes, thanks to the Daily Planet. It also informs me that Lois Lane is to meet him for an interview. I shall take her place. And you, Dr. Hackett, with skillful makeup, should make an admirable Dr. Graham. Here's his latest photograph. While Carol Foreman does spend a great deal of her time stuck in the in the headquarters here, she does a pretty good job. She's also spent a great deal of this serial verbally sparring with Dr. Hackett, who keeps his cool throughout and while she is 
while she gets angrier. Dr. Hackett is clearly playing the long game. It almost makes me wonder if uh, he intended for the machine to work at all. You would think he would, because Superman is as much his problem as hers. That's just a random thought I had at the moment. I don't know if there's anything to that, but it doesn't matter. So, by now, we're at Chapter 9. We've just passed the halfway point in this serial. Spider-Lady is going to take matters into her own hands because she is frustrated with the men. And the planet has obliged her by publishing the fact that Lois Lane is going to meet Dr. Graham at the airport. The security here is absolutely atrocious. Why is the Daily Planet publishing that they are going to send Lois to meet Dr. Graham? This is practically inviting an attack, which is par for the course because they've spent just about Superman and company have spent about the entire serial inviting attacks from the Spider-Lady. So, and apparently here we learn that the Spider-Lady wears a wig, as when she pulls off her blonde hair, she reveals her long, dark locks beneath, which I believe is Carol Foreman's real hair. I'm guessing they had this planned when they cast her, so they needed to have the wig just for this for this moment here. It seems strange to have her wear a wig for most of a serial just to pull off a ruse in one chapter. But I didn't write this or handle the production, so I really have no <laughs> nothing else to say about that. Well, anyway, she wants Hackett to get made up as Dr. Graham so he can pose as Dr. Graham and get the reducer ray. So she shows him a photo. Hackett didn't know any had been published, so the spider lady pulls out this photo of taken by her man in Washington, and the photo was taken without his knowledge. This is an awfully good photo of Dr. Graham to take without his knowledge. I mean, it's real close. He's working on something. He's in his lab. You know, it looks like a publicity shot that you would see with, uh, you know, when movie companies send media there press packets, publicity shots of the production, and this looks like one of those. So anyway, the spider lady is going to go out on this on her own. This, to me, seems like an awfully big risk. I mean, no other women in the group to take care of this for? So she's setting up an ambush as these guys, as a couple guys on the side of the road get into a slight fender bender with Lois. She left a little smirk she drives by, kind of like that. Now, it is, however, interesting as Dr. Graham has no real idea what Lois looks like and unwittingly goes off with the spider lady. I mean... Maybe they, you'd think they'd send her a picture or something. He's just taking his word for it that she's Lois Lane. He doesn't even look for any credentials. She says he's Lois Lane, and off they go. Now we get our first look at the made-up packet, you know, and Lois gets to the airport just in time to meet the made-up packet, who is walking around with uh, Conrad as his assistant. Now, apparently, when Hackett, who's made up as Graham, shows up, he's we wearing the same suit that he wore when Lois encountered him in the cabin. Now, of course, everybody's wearing the same clothes, so I don't know if this matters at all, but it is clearly the same suit that Hackett was wearing. Lois doesn't notice. Maybe she's not meant to. Obviously, back then, characters wore the same clothes all the time to cut down on wardrobe costs. As we go through this, I'm having a hard time telling if who's under this Graham makeup. If this is the actor who plays Hackett or the, or the actor who plays Graham. But as they're getting into the... As Graham and Conrad, or as Hackett and Conrad, rather, are getting into the car with Graham, Jimmy takes a photo... And we'll have more on that later. Now, they were talking in the car, and they're about to... Hackett and Conrad are about to go into the museum, and Hackett dismisses her. But Lois says she, she needs more of her story. So she's going to tag along with Hackett and Conrad as they go into the reducer ray. Now, I'm not exactly sure what else Lois needs, but it makes Hackett and Conrad uncomfortable because they have to do their duplicitous work while with Lois around. Maybe she's suspicious of them. I don't know. 
Now, now, when they're inside, Lois starts to probe a little bit, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on here. The people in Washington know you're here, don't they, Dr. Graham? Oh, certainly. As a matter of fact, it was their idea. Then don't you think it's strange they allowed you to come unguarded? I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's noticing these things. I'm very glad that uh, somebody in that world is noticing the problem here, too. Hackett spins a nice tale for her about how he's probably being watched and nobody is noticing, so he's... Oh, not at all. Mr. Conrad here is my guard as well as assistant. <laughs> Possibly I'm being watched every moment without being aware of it. Hmm? He's smooth. He's showing the same smoothness that he showed with the spider lady here on Lois. Conrad is just a, pretty much a dumb muscle, and uh, he won't shut up about how impressive the reducer ray is, and Hackett is uh, shutting him up because Conrad is supposed to be uh, Graham's assistant and also his bodyguard. But if he's uh, looking at the array machine too uh, wistfully, he can give them all away. So at this point, Lois is, knows something wrong. Her body language is showing that she's suspicious, that she looks uncomfortable. She's making sidelong glances at both of them. And she questions Hackett again, and smooth as ever, he deflects her. Meanwhile, as that's going on, the spider lady is back in her black dress and blinding Graham with the, search, with the spotlight just as she did to Morgan a few chapters ago and I'm left to wonder whether Graham notices this is the same voice as the one that belonged to the fake Lois who picked him up at the airport. Now back in the museum Lois is still suspicious. She dismisses herself from Conrad and Hackett and listens at the uh, staircase and she figures them out and make, makes her phone call right from the stairs where they can hear her. Does she think she was going to get away with that? Couldn't she have gone off and found a phone booth or something and called this in, where she wasn't three feet away from away from them? I mean, this kind of reminds me of Lois uh, calling in the story from the magnetic telescope, where she called in the story from the place where the, the comet was about to crash. Remember that? Kind of the same thing here. She's going to call in the story right next to the criminals. Anyway... Now, in Perry's office, Clark is called in, and Perry shows him a photo that Jimmy took of Lois and Graham. Clark looks at the photo as he met Graham some time ago as Superman. We, Perry doesn't know that, but we do. Now, Clark uses his X-ray vision on the photo and sees through Hackett's makeup, and I'm not sure X-ray vision works that way. I would think that if Clark used his X-ray vision on a photo, he'd see what's on the other side of the photo. I don't know if he would see makeup underneath, but he does. And Perry can't see it, and thinks Clark has gone crazy. We know that Clark has not gone crazy because the serial showed the image of Graham makeup makeup disappearing and Hackett underneath it. Now, Hackett must be some kind of genius. It's implied that he is. People have said that he is, but we've never actually seen it. But he's just looking at the reducer ray, and if he can build the machine just from photographs without knowing what the inside of the machine looks like, then he has to be some kind of mechanical genius. But Lois has not gotten away with this. He's rigged the ray to explode. So, they, so that once he builds his, they'll have the only one in existence. We see Superman flying toward Lois, the machine explodes, and the chapter ends. So, next time we will see how Lois gets out of this, if she gets out of this, when we take a look at chapters 10 through 12 of Superman the Serial. Is Jimmy Olsen also to be a victim of this sinister scheme? Who will be lured into this flaming trap? For the answers, check out episode 8 of the Man of Screen podcast on this web feed next week. 
Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and no one else. All music and sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com. And you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.